You're listening to Medicine for the Resistance. In this position, I have a space to be able to influence those discussions, and that's something that's really important to me. Okay, yeah. And that's really nice because a lot of times politicians just kind of stick to stick to the script, right, of what they're, and that's, I think, a limitation of political life is the expectation from the party that you're going to stick with the script. But what is, what is your agenda for this conversation? Because we exist to, like, the whole point of our podcast is to provide medicine to provide support to people that are pushing back against colonialism and in the last i think three years that we've been doing this almost 100 episodes now we have found so many creative ways that people are doing that people in communities are doing that um so we are very happy to be able to offer you a platform where you can talk about the things that are important to you and important to your community and i mean i know like this much about like my son lived in a Kaluit, but I mean, he lived there as a Southerner, right? As, you know, an Anishinaabeg person, but still not, still, still but not. But that's still not a reason to say, you know, this much, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he still lived there for a year and a half. So it's still not an excuse to say, you know, such a certain amount. And, and I think that that's the power in conversation and discussing experiences how can we learn best from one another and where can we ourselves uh, fill in some of the gaps that we sometimes expect other people to and you know uh, someone like me hops on to discuss something and we say well what do you want to talk about well there's an infinite amount of things Mm -hmm. that we can talk about and really what I'm even interested in is what is discussion itself and what does that look like and how can we have it in a more open and respectful um, but I think more importantly in a way that we're listening and not just waiting to respond. Hmm. I must say (laughs) I am quite impressed. You are definitely not giving off politician-y vibes. Like, that is not what I'm reading from you at all. In fact, it's quite refreshing um, to, to have somebody who is so open and wanting to connect in this way and be in this space. And I think for, for most of us, I, let, can I back up a little bit and get you to just give us some history, some understanding of where you are what your ridership is like give us some details about your space and and maybe that also help us kind of carve out a form why you're not so politician definitely um i can back it up even a little bit so i'm 27 years old i'm a ndp member of parliament for nunavut the youngest to be elected in the territory since it's been uh official, uh, officially Nunavut, and the largest electoral riding in the world. Uh, That comes with its unique challenges, of course, with the lack of representation that we see, not just Indigenous uh, peoples within places like the House of Commons, uh, but any uh, racialized individuals as well. Uh, I grew up in a small town of about 1800 at the time that's uh, grown. My riding is Oh, I need to look this up. 
one of extremely few, if not the only um, fly in, fly out riding. Uh, and it's the only fly in, fly out territory, province. Um, and lots of people don't realize that or think about that. So everything is flown in or shipped up once a year. We have permafrost, so we don't have trees. Our water and sewage in most communities is chucked in and out of your home. That's uh, very, very normal. Uh, we grow up, uh, and, and even I think the trees, no trees itself, I think it's something hard for people to wrap their head around. And people laugh at me when I say I don't, I'm not a big fan of living in the trees, but that's just not what I grew up in. It's not my norm. Um, so I also grew up in a place that was very, the colonization, and, and this is the power of it, colonization, when it is working to the best of its ability, you do not know it's there. I grew up for a very, very long time not understanding why I had such a hard time with a sense of identity as a human being in the world. Um, you know, layer that with as a woman, as an Inuk, as someone that's living in a time where colonization is at, in some ways, its most effective states, uh, probably effective times. Nunavut has the, some of the highest rates of violence, uh, especially against women. Uh, we have some of the probably the highest rates of child sexual abuse that no one, no one is talking about yet in the way that we need to. We have the highest rates of suicide. So I, and you know, growing up, didn't realize that it was Inuit and for the most part, everyone around me that were forced into systems that didn't really make sense. Shortly after I graduated in 2011, I realized uh, in my early 20s, what on earth is wrong with this country and what on earth is going on in the world? I need to go educate myself because the school system I went through did not educate me on my history, on Canadian history. Um, and that kind of launched me into, I've done a lot of things that uh, more specifically around Inuit employment. How do we recruit, retain, retire Inuit employees in on Inuit homelands? And how do we make sure that um, governments like the federal government are upholding their obligations? So last, uh, well, August of 2019, I had a friend, um, ask if we could have a conversation about politics. I said, if you want to ask me about Trudeau, you got the wrong person. Like I got no interest in talking about that man whatsoever. And they said, no, it wasn't that, but uh, they were happy to back off if I wasn't interested. And I said, well, it can't hurt anyone. And after some fruitful language, I basically said, you're asking me to run for member of parliament for NDP in less than two months, this election happens. And it was a yeah, and I just, I said, yeah, I never looked back. So I never entered this job wanting to be a politician. I never came in saying, this is what I wanna look like. And you know, these sound, and exactly, I don't sound like a politician because I have, we're often taught or encouraged how to give sound bits 
you know, the 10 or 15 seconds that the reporters are looking for. I'm good at that, but I'm also good at giving the sound bit I want, not the sound bit that they're looking for. Um, and that's why I want to have these discussions too, because I believe that the media has a lot of power, a lot of power. Who funds a lot of the media? The federal government. Who does it benefit to not educate people on Canadian history? The federal government and the people making the big bucks. And that's why these conversations need to happen because screw that. Like, let's, we need to see some change and it's time for it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just like, um, yeah, right. Like, I'm, I'm just sitting here just wanting to like, go this way and like do some backflips like you are so powerful just I am you know I work a lot where I feel into like people's energy and and there's something so grounding about you and I I recognize that that is a strength like just listening to you tell your story like just the fact that you you know, you had two months, <laughs> I can't even imagine, you kind of had two months and just took it on and, and did it. it. It speaks, it's a real testament to who you are and recognizing, did, uh, maybe, maybe this is the question, did you recognize the water you were stepping into? Because, <laughs> yeah, she just, you're shaking your head. I mean, it, it's gotta be, um, quite a learning curve, I would believe. What has that been like? This is more my, more my selfish question, sorry, but what has that been like? Yeah, I, I used to get really annoyed when people would bring that up. And I think because it implied that somehow I couldn't do the job. And when you look around at the other members of parliament, you know, besides my NDP colleagues, I am phenomenal at my job. I'm really good at it. And there are some things that I expect a member of parliament can do, like public speaking, like being able to have a respectful open conversation, like being able to approach and help a constituent. And that's definitely not what you see in the House of Commons. And you don't see that level of individuals who are elected actually really care about who they're serving and who they're meant to serve. Um, I totally lost your question now. No, you're actually answering it. But I think yeah. it sounds like you went- Oh, the learning curve, sorry. I just, yeah. I totally get brain farts sometimes and you just need to like give me a word or two and it's, oh. it's right back there. Um, but it, it just, I don't know why it bugged me for a while because it kind of felt like it implied I couldn't, I would have to learn. So everybody told me I was going to learn and I'm like, we're all learning. And like lots of other MPs, I'm like, you don't know how to do what still? And I'm like, the mute button, the mute button, we're on House of Commons virtual, the mute button is your space bar. And if you can't figure that out, I don't know if you should be a member. Um <laughs> So I, I think that when, and, and it just kind of astonishes me that we allow people in elected positions to not have the, the skill set and abilities to even do those kinds of things. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. I keep kind of like floating away and thinking about all the people you look at all the time and all the uh, a lot lately I've been talking a lot about frankly it's a bunch of white men 
who will never, ever, ever have to fathom any kind of experience of what it's like to live any shade darker than white Mm -hmm. as a black or brown individual. And what I mean by that is we all have some kind of game plan for a number of things. The high points of that list are if a cop pulls you over, we all know what we're doing in that experience and exactly how we're doing it. I got, uh, I was driving uh, with a, uh, a friend a few months ago and we got pulled over. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was taking out one phone, putting it on record, putting it in the back, putting my work phone on, putting it on record, putting it in front of me and tempting as uh, like I shouldn't say tempting but the next step is almost like should I be ready to go live on Facebook and like we all have this kind of system where okay a cop pulls me over this is what I'm gonna do Uh, I run into a situation where the doctor isn't giving me the service I know I need this is what I'm gonna do my child is having an issue at school This is how I'm going to approach the teacher. We all know that it's a different experience for us because of how we look and and how our kids look sometimes. And then it gets even scarier. So frankly, there's a bunch of white men who will never, ever have to think about this stuff ever and more often than not we'll never have to think about money we'll never have to think about food on the table never had to think about where they were going to sleep that night and now all of a sudden we're going to expect them to understand and and be culturally appropriate to have be culturally humble be respectful be and i'm not saying that white people can't be i'm saying more often than not these white men who get elected are buddies with all the rich people i'm not saying that white people do not have the capability i am saying that the people that get elected into positions are more often than not really 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 rich white males will never have to worry about the things that we have to ever Mm -hmm. and they have no real incentive to build those relationships and learn those things because then that becomes costly in terms of the other decisions that they're making about building their wealth and their friends' wealth and how are we gonna build people's wealth. And as soon as you're thinking about that, I mean, privilege for some means dispossession for others. Wealth for some means dispossession for others. And as, you know, know, um, I'm, you know, Anishinaabe, you know, Carrie's black, you're Inuk and, and, you know, so, we understand dispossession really, really well. And um, I mean, like for myself, I'm, I'm on um, 18 months of sick leave now for, um, for mental health trauma. I did child welfare for years and um, that's traumatic. And the traumatic piece wasn't so much the stuff. It, w- it was the stuff that I saw in terms of poverty and in terms of the way race and poverty intersect with child welfare. So it, w- it, it was the stuff that I saw, but it was more my, the complete inability of the system to respond to it in meaningful ways. That's the locus of my trauma. And it took me, it, it took me a good year or so to figure that out. Would you argue, though, that it is the system, though? It is, is it the system or just how it's being upheld? Oh, I think that's one thing I can't quite 
I, I agree the system is messed. Um, and, and I'm just saying the system just in general, I'm like the federal institution. Mm. Um, but I, and I think it, it comes to this power imbalance that you're getting at. It's this not wanting to hand off power. Um, so, and I've had conversations like this with tons of people, but how do you stick the spoke in the wheel to break it? Do you need to do a total system flip? Do you need to get everybody that shouldn't be in there out? Do you need to do it all at once? Like I have been having thoughts on that. I have because, and, and I promised myself I wasn't going to talk about the Anishinaabe flood story for a long time. And here I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the, but the reason that, that I was bringing it up is I, uh, so I'm right. I'm writing, I'm writing this book and writing books is really hard. Um, but the flood story is part of it. And what occurred to me as I was reflecting on the flood story I grew up with at growing up in the evangelical church where, you know, was they built an ark and they put everything in the ark and then they waited for the flood waters to recede. Whereas the Nishnabeg flood story, and it's also the Haudenosaunee flood story and apparently the Cherokee, like there's a lot of, of um, American Indian flood stories go that are this way where we bring up a piece of dirt from the ground you know, from, from way below the water. And we build that and that pushes the waters aside. And so then I think that gives us, because we're in a flood event, right? Colonialism is an ongoing flood event. Um, and, and I think that gives us two, two different things that we can do. On the one hand, we've got traditionalists, people who are holding on and protecting things through the flood. And we've all got people in those in our communities, the traditionalists. Um, they might even be a friend of mine, Maya calls the, you know, calls some people terminal creed because they don't allow the beliefs to, you know, to um, evolve the way beliefs do. But that's important, right? Because they're still holding on to a time capsule of belief and that, and that, and that's really critical. Um, you know, so we've got the, you know, we've got the, the arc where they're holding on to it, but then we've also got people that are building something new. And so in neither case, are we directly engaging colonialism, the floodwaters? We're not burning it. We're not digging holes to drain it away. We're in both cases, we're either preserving or we're building something new, but both of them result in they can exist with each other yeah so and there comes a point where it it is able to coexist right like in neither case did we get rid of water altogether there eventually comes a place where we where we can coexist and so i think that's what i try to focus on is the building something new what are we building and that's i think where government people who are willing to not you know, to not focus on, on just building wealth or building communities of wealth, have some real power. Because like, I mean, you took a tour uh, of your riding and you saw the things. And that was kind of like, that was kind of where I felt a real, your story there, I read your op-ed that really resonated with me because that's kind of what happened to me in terms of seeing all these people and being powerless to do anything about it because the system doesn't really, we talk about children living in poverty, but these children have families right we talk about children being hungry but these children have families right and so if you know we talk about rescuing children but what if we rescued the family (laughs) you know wouldn't that fix things a lot better but that's not the project the project is remaking the children so that's where I say the system itself is a mess because if the project was about saving families 
then that's what we would fund. We would fund housing, we would fund food security, we would fund all of those things that keep families together that those rich guys you're talking about take for granted. But we don't fund those things. Even though we know it's cheaper, we still don't fund those things. Not that I want to dive into that whole rabbit hole, but <laughs> I I do think um trying to remember who said to me at one point when um gay rights and and um those kinds of movements were happening how horrible it, it had gotten then um i don't know any points in time i need to educate myself more um but somebody had said to me you know doesn't need to get that bad for uh, us that are indigenous or racialized doesn't need to get to a point where we are being and we are we are being killed disproportionately by the RCMP, by all different kinds of systems. Um, I guess one of the things I have a really hard time, I've always had a hard time with, and my, my thing has always been, let's look at the why. Long before I was doing this job, it was, uh, should, you know, I worked in suicide prevention and it was, uh, so-and-so would be, um, get charged with a crime. And it was my, it was, well, do you agree with that? I said, do you have, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking me, do I agree with the consequence? Not why is the individual in such a state that they feel the need to carry out acts like this? You're as, and, and sure enough, I did my own research and exactly the trauma that had happened to this individual had happened to their parent. And that parent had experienced this trauma at day schools and then had carried that on that cycle. And I said, so what you're asking me is if I agree that the, the system she was forced into should therefore lead her into jail because this situation happened where it probably wouldn't have if they had had food, shelter, water growing up and weren't experienced this intergenerational trauma. Are you asking me if it's okay that the system is messed up? Not if I agree with the consequence of her jail time. Is that the question here? Because that's what it sounds like to me. And that's what I mean in, in power of media and the power of how we talk about things because media has that. The question is not, do you agree with this consequence? Do you agree with the outcome? The, the, we, we need to be talking about, let's not even get there. I am just kind of listening, um, drinking in all the, both of you have made some incredible and very powerful points. And, you know, when I think about this positioning as a black woman, and um, I, I really resonated when you mentioned your story of, you know, putting your phone in the back seat and, you know, knowing that you had your phone in the front seat and the whole concept of going live, all of that is so, um, it, it sits very much in a primal space with myself because that is our experience. And, you know, where I think our power comes in, even when we see some of the, the what feels like sometimes an impossible structural you know, behemoth that exists when we talk about the systems that are in place that keep us in this colonial capitalist system. The reminder, the resonance that we have in making these kinds of connections. You see, your story could be my story, could be Patty's story, 
could be so many of us. And I think, as you mentioned, when we are having these conversations, when we are pushing back in that, um, in that way, you know, it reminds me of that old story, the emperor has no, new, no clothes, you know, where, you know, everybody thought that they would keep the silence until that, that young, innovative voice came forth and said, no, the emperor is not wearing any clothes and everybody else then felt validated. To me, the answer comes from that innovation. It comes from us questioning what is in existence and then being able to uniquely create these pockets, these new ways of showing up so that we can infer change. Um, you know, Patty, to me, uh, hearing you speak about the traumas, you know, that you have been through, and I witness you in that space. I mean, um, I, I am so grateful because I would never have known you <laughs> if we are, our paths hadn't crossed. Trauma with me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Our, our paths would not have crossed. And yet I, I know firsthand how dramatic that can be. And I can only imagine what you have been through over the years of being in it. But I, I think about how it, it's been an impetus for you to be able to use your voice in this strong way and we're connecting with others in equally strong ways and I think that's where you can't stop that kind of momentum it normally does change normally comes from that kind of grassroots level and I and I think that's what we're experiencing like everybody can sense there's something happening you know there are some very much some cracks in that behemoth of a system well, and, and I, maybe and I, I think that goes to what you were saying earlier Mamalak, about being able to get these conversations out there because mm -hmm. you've got like the big three media people but now you've also got tons of independent media right like any fool with a computer can have a podcast <laughs> i say that all the time i'm a fool i have a computer i have a podcast <laughs> i have a podcast and i'm an mp like oh, we, yeah. everyone has one <laughs> yeah right like flutter the airwaves and, and let's get talking to and let's you know and and then let and we'll talk to each other and that, that made me think of our, our conversation with desmond cole about you he made a couple of points about for people in political life is one um the importance of having somebody with you so that you're not alone up there in the house of parliament you've got one you know somebody that you can disrupt with i guess is one but then also people to provide cover for you um to speak up about the issues that you're speaking up about because to, to lend that credence so do you have or do you feel that you have or how can we help you build Make me want to text him. <laughs> it, I was actually, um, my colleague, Matthew Green, will go to bat for me oh, for Matthew, like wonderful. any, I could ask him to do, I don't, I don't, any ridiculous and he would try and just, yeah, yeah, fam. That's always the thing. Yeah, fam, got you. Um, Matthew Green, uh, definitely. Leah Gazan, for sure. Jugmeet, Rachel Blaney. I could count on all of my colleagues. I have had extremely frank discussions with 
just about each one of them and have definitely made quite a few uncomfortable, but then they just kind of understand, hey, I get it. You're white and this is how it works and I'm not and this is how it works. So we're going to try and put them together and we're going to make it work here. Um, and all my colleagues are, are super, super awesome and we'll all go to bat. Um, it was really, really touching in, um, when was it? I think it was in shortly after the housing tour. Um, I had had, uh, I think Jenny Kwan, one of my colleagues had mentioned Nunavut and it's, it's a really big deal. I don't think people realize how much it's skyrocketed first off that Nunavut and the North are being talked about in the House of Commons because I am there because the Liberals do not like me being there. Um, probably not the Conservatives either, but who cares? Um, and in that, um, in that space that is 100% that's exactly I just needed someone to back me and say well, you're good we got you and I have all my colleagues um, to do that and definitely Matthew Green uh, and Leah Gazan and, and Jugmeet and Rachel Blaney and I could just list I would get to everybody uh, <laughs> at at the end of it but I also people like I've been in touch with Jody Wilson Raybould how do you interact with these kinds of spaces. Uh, I have discussions with people like Michael McLeod, who are also, they're great people to just say, hey, how do you navigate um, dealing with things in, in your riding? How do you communicate with certain parties? And people are always really open um, to your face. But I know that all of my colleagues legitimately have my back. And I know there's handful that I could say hey I need an arm and they would find me an arm um so I'm super super grateful and thankful for that and and freaking blessed there is no way um in the last 20 years we have seen liberals and conservatives fail none of it horribly indigenous people across the country horribly um NDP it's our breath of fresh air and we're I was saying this to um, one of my colleagues, I can't remember who. So as a member of parliament, all of your things come out of pocket besides your flights and then you submit them to get reimbursed. So when I did that three week housing tour, imagine a hotel room in Coral Harbor is $350 for one night. Now imagine me traveling throughout the territory as a 27 year old who hasn't had the opportunity to build up their credit with the biggest electoral riding in the world that is given no special benefits or like I can't even say special just equal opportunity to any other like the downtown MP for Toronto can walk in their riding in half hour uh, it takes me three days to travel mine so you know people don't realize these kinds of inequalities and and what that means. And I, I don't think that people, you know, liberals never cared, conservatives never cared. We have seen such a lack of representation for where we need representation. Um, and it's just that I, I think there is such, even a lack of opportunity. I don't know if that's the right word. Lack of space given to us. Um, to even be a part of the things that we should be. 
could you I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm absorbing that and thank you for that share because you know it, it isn't something it makes so much sense and and I see it now that you've mentioned it but it isn't something that the average southerner you know our end of town or our end of the the province would have thought about and I can you speak to that can you speak to what the enormity of you being able to go on that tour was and what it brought for you and for none of it. So I'm gonna kind of break it down. I have my little notebook here. I'm gonna break it down for my territory as a member and sitting in the house. Mm -hmm. So as a member of parliament, we all get our budget, our office, our whatever. And there's a lot of things where we can make decisions or make things more so to how we see them fit there's also a lot of policy and procedure that we have to follow typically members of parliament get enough funds to pay about four full-time staff about there but it doesn't have to be that so you could have like four full-time staff or maybe two full-time two part-time maybe six part-time like that's up to you um, you're just basically given a budget and that's how you work with it in my writing um, and, and typically when you look at those things online, it's between 50 and 55K here in Ottawa for a, a staff position for a member of parliament. That is, you can't even pay, like I would be embarrassed to offer that to a part-time high school student coming in for uh, whatever, all school year. Um, that's not how it works in my writing, but the previous liberal and conservative candidates never cared enough to try and make that change so now what I'm running around doing is saying hey I need x amount which by the way your federal departments understand because they have a whole plan all major employee employers in Nunavut pay the salary and at least Nunavut allowance and at least housing and or travel allowance at least two kinds of benefits typically and for sure the northern allowance so what I'm trying to do is push to say just give me not even me give the the member of parliament for noon with that mm -hmm. and let's move give me equal opportunity to hire people because when you start looking at the numbers and population, me come like I need to stop saying me. Nunavut compared to a lot of other ridings, graduation rate is way lower, employment training is way lower, uh, employment opportunity way lower, and I can't pay the skill set needed to work in a member of parliament office. So now I've been struggling for the last year, even just trying to keep somebody in the riding. And now all of a sudden, I'm the one trying to figure that out. So that's one aspect of the Nunavut um, office. And the other part of that is what I just mentioned. So all members of parliament pay for everything out of pocket except for their flights, and then they get reimbursed. But a Toronto hotel, or and and you can yes you can compare my writings to other northern writings other remote writings yes but my writing is 100% remote and 100% northern and there's just there's no comparison in that but what that ends up doing for me is i don't so <laughs> when i took that 3 week housing tour and you can look online and look at all the hotel costs and add it all up have I just knocked my and so what happens is then I have to wait for reimbursement in a few weeks MPs get paid once a month 
So now I'm like, I got two or three months of all this crazy trying to keep up and trying to switch money and trying to. So here I am, 27 years old, member of parliament, racking my brain, trying to figure all this out. And that's not even like, I'm not even at the being a member of parliament. I'm just talking about the barriers I've like not even member stuff. Um, So now have I set myself up? Have I messed my credit for the rest of my, can I get a mortgage? Can I have like, what have I done? And people are like, well, you make all this money and da, 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 da. And I know I shouldn't dip too much into my personal, but my work is directly affecting all of that. Um, And at the time, honestly, I shouldn't have taken a three-week housing tour. I learned that the really, really hard way that there is only a certain amount that I can really handle uh, in terms of finances. And that's not my fault. That's a House of Commons uh, major flaw. Um, The extreme differences in being a member in the actual House of Parliament, House of Commons rather, is that it, I would link it to a lot of our real life experiences. Mm -hmm. I get stopped a lot by security. Security kind of has two jobs, one to protect everybody, of course, but two to rarely ever stop a member of parliament because they are supposed to know who we all are and who all of our, our faces and names. This is a really, really hard face to forget. And I get stopped all the, I had some guy running down the hall after me and I turned around and he realized, like, he was like, excuse me, ma'am, I need some idea. I was like, I'm a member. This is the third time in the last three days, but that's just something on the regular that I deal with in the House of Commons. So when we look at Trudeau, who's like, I can't even do anything about it. Well, can you get your security guys to first off stop stopping people like me and then mimic those practices in the RCMP? That's how it works. Like, I just it's I'm getting worked up. So I spent a lot of time. Um, my first, I'd say four or five months was a lot of, if I was in the hallway by myself, it was, you belong here. You belong here. You're good. You're good. And if I was getting off an elevator, I'd be like, okay, game face, let's go. I belong here. But it was just constant pep talks of you're good enough to be here. You're just as capable as anyone else because your, your life in a lot of ways is built to make you feel like you got to work you know could you like I couldn't I couldn't imagine so my mom's white and my dad's Inuk people don't think I understand a white side or I'm speaking from a very angry angry Inuk side that's not the reality because there's no way shape or form that I would be here without, that any of us would be here without white people first off, um, but that I would even be capable of being in this position without my white mom, who fully has the capability and understanding of not carrying out those colonial white characteristics. Like, I don't know how else to put it, um, where I was raised with an awareness of what it was and what was happening not necessarily because I was Inuk, but just in that the world worked a bit differently and I needed to be more aware. Um, my white mom's had conversations with me where she said, I don't, 
you need to make sure when you're by yourself in Ottawa, you call me because the only person looking for you is us. Because she knows, she knows that's the truth. And of course, now, not, not now that I'm MP and whatnot, but that's those real conversations that she's had to have as a white person um, with, with kids that are, you know, so people sometimes think I'm, I'm coming from a place of hostility or, or anger or not understanding something. And that's the complete opposite. I, I understand a, a lot of, um, of what's going on. And I think that that's the, the best and uh, it sometimes works against me. <laughs> well, I, I do not interact with a lot of aware people. Yeah. And I not think in the house of Congress. A lot of people. Or on the hill, maybe. Yeah. Don't realize how many how, how many people have to leave Nunavut to access medical care? Like, and they come to Ottawa. They go to Ottawa or they go to Montreal. Um, for the most part, I think on the Western part, they go more to Edmonton. Um, but it, it, that occurred to me, like when, when we were up there, because yeah, I mean, the landscape, the landscape is stunning. Um, we, were at, we were up there in June and I was really sad. I wanted to experience the 24 hour daylight. Um, which was really disorienting, <laughs> but uh, I was really kind of sad that we didn't weren't there in August. Apparently, like those, those little purple flowers are everywhere in August, so we didn't get to see those. So I was a little sad about that. But um, we went dog sledding um, on the bay on June twenty first, which was a little wild for Niagara girl. Um, you know, but anyway, it's it just absolutely stunning landscape. Um, my son took us hiking at Sylvia Grinnell and up behind um, that one neighborhood that's up at the top by the reservoir and just absolutely gorgeous. But then as we were flying back um, and I was watching the geography change underneath and then we landed in Ottawa and I was thinking about all of the people who have to travel south for medical care. Um, you know, sometimes even just to have babies or for addiction treatment or, you know, to deal with abusive relationships, because um, I, I have a little bit of a relationship with the women's shelter up there. We send them uh, through Moontime Sisters, we send sanitary supplies, because that's how Pay Your Rent got started, was bringing sanitary supplies up to Iqaluit. Um Anyway, it just occurred to me what an enormous shock on so many levels that would be for somebody traveling for the first time from Nunavut to Ottawa, to all those trees, all those buildings, all those people. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, so, so there is a fairly substantial population, Nunavut population in Ottawa, is there not? Yeah. Um, uh, what did yeah, StatCan said? It's a number that's probably way off in the 2017, 20, no, 2016, 2017 TI Dungasugit Inuit uh, organization that serves only Inuit in Ottawa served 4,655 clients. So that was three years ago, four years ago already. Um, and that's, they're all Inuk for sure. Um, some people might've been traveling in and out, but I'd say there's at least 5,000 Inuit um, at least, if not, there's probably a lot more than that in Ottawa, Vanier, Gatineau area. And the child welfare has an Inuit desk, like an Inuit team that deals. Yeah. I remember when we did the child in care, there was always the team from Ottawa. Um, but I guess, I've, so that, that creates kind of a particular view 
among a, 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 among like the security guards, like you're talking about, about who the Inu, you know, who Inuk are and where they belong. And I mean, Carrie and I have talked about that a lot about, you, you know, existing as, as racially marginalized people in white spaces. I take that even a step back, though, going back to the healthcare system with, um, you know, talking about people traveling to travel for uh, medical care. Definitely, uh, the majority of the territory, you have to leave the territory to have a child, uh, anything more than that, any kind of minor surgery, uh, wisdom teeth, for example, you often have to get sent out of the territory. Uh, children that have really bad like decay and stuff. Uh, most communities have a traveling dentist. So you only have a dentist a couple weeks, um, maybe if like every few months. Uh, same with an eye doctor, typically, sometimes like the ear specialist or hearing that's often periodic. Uh, same with dental uh, doctors. Uh, many communities don't have a full-time doctor uh, and uh, dental eye or braces and stuff like that. No way. you got to get sent out. Um, so the territory is divided into three regions, the and the the kind of like West, Center, and East. And the region, they fly to Yellowknife, depending on the severity. If not, they fly to Edmonton. In the Kivalik region, they get sent out to Winnipeg. And then, like you mentioned, uh, here in Ottawa or to Montreal for the Kivalik region um, for everything. And it's it's really heartbreaking when there's lots of like people with uh, any cancer patients uh, can't get care at home. Elders, there's really a lack of long-term facilities. Uh, mental health resources are almost non-existent. There's no treatment or addictions facility in the territory. Um, there's there is such an, a lack of everything. Could you imagine not being able to have your baby at home? Uh, everybody from my hometown gets sent out a month before they're due. Could you imagine during COVID? getting sent out to Winnipeg a month before like it's really heartbreaking and it's it's been like that forever that's like that's our norm that's my norm everyone that all of my friends that have had kids they get sent out a, a month before and parents that have major health issues can't stay home and get treatment like it's really heartbreaking the lack of health services but uh, like I haven't even dipped into any kind of like even dental and um, I was really lucky with having teeth like this thankfully uh, my brother wasn't uh, unfortunately and just even watching my mom having to deal with him getting braces like it's a whole whole thing um, and my mom grew up in these systems where this is how it works. This is kind of the norm. And I think what people also don't realize a lot of the time that what's your norm is different from my norm. And in what you were raised and how you were educated and how you were raised, how to conduct yourself and experience life is very different for a lot of people. And what I really realized out of that housing tour is that in colonization and in these last few really pack a punch decades is that people really lost basic skills, like how to maintain a healthy, even friendship, like not even relate, like not even boyfriend, girlfriend, um, and lo lots of lateral violence, uh, lots of abuse, lots of, lots of turmoil that ultimately comes from these these 
system. So I think there's just so many things on so many sides and all these different conversations intertwine. But I think what, what I've also been realizing a lot is that I need to very much have two different conversations and I need to have one up north and I need to have one down south because a lot of the time um, I'm, I'm fortunate to be a, as aware as I am and know as much as I do because a lot of people were just worried about food, shelter and water growing up. Um, and when you lack a quality of life, it's hard to contribute to society in a way that you should be able to. Um, and I find it so stupid that I say I was fortunate enough to do that because we all should be fortunate enough. Um, but there's this really difficult conversation now that I need to figure out where I could figure this out. Not on my from all my supports in my life, but I decided to use that myself to create this experience and to create, be able to put myself in a position like this. Um, but not everybody gets to have that ability. And I think that's something that is so heartbreaking. Like looking at those kids suffering, look at all the people that we lost. I'm like, like all the just talent, all the like, what, what if that's a cancer cure or what if that's like the next Olympian or the next musician or like we are just watching opportunities slip by us and for some reason people are so fine with it like I, I don't get it and that's why I'm like screw this I'm not walking and talking like your typical politician <laughs> no way that's not what I was meant to do on this earth and that's not what I'm going to waste my time with mm. hoorah yeah. hoorah yeah mm. Well, and I think you're right. I mean, I think Trudeau and, and those white guys that you were talking about, they don't care because the whole point is to get rid of us, to either absorb us into white cities or to disappear us one way. And, and maybe that's just the chapter I'm working on right now about disappearing us. <laughs> they say we live in modern colonization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as, as we're kind of drawing it together, where do you go? Like, what do you, what do you offer? Where do you, where do you start building? Awareness and education. I need enough people mad with me. I can't be mad alone. Okay. I also need though enough people to realize that there is a difference between support and overpowering a message. I think that's something that's super critical. Um, and I think everybody that disagrees can go stand in their corner, mind their business and get. So those are kind of the three main things I'll be working on. Okay. And what's your I, head of a podcast? Pardon me? You said you have a podcast? Yeah, um, it's called Moments with Mumilap. And I just bring Indigenous people from across the country on to just talk about stuff. Um, I've talked with uh, Donna Kimalakjuk is the first Inuk cardiac surgeon. I've talked with uh, Twin Flames is an indigenous couple uh, that does music. I've talked with um, who else was on? Cody Coyote was on that one. Um, I've done a couple other ones. I haven't done them for a few months. Just I'm I need to get staffed up and stuff like that here. But um, we just kind of I kind of bring on people that. Uh, 
what have we done? Music, sewing, and kind of talk about a topic. And if they want to talk about anything else, we do. And we get into some really good stuff sometimes. It's really fun. Moments with wow. love. Okay. All right. I'm going to yeah, have to listen. We definitely have to listen in. We got to pump that. Everybody out there, are you listening? You got to tune in and let's hear all that you have to say. What a, this has been just such a powerful conversation. Like I'm, I'm just really um, taken by you and, and just the you understand the work that has to be done, but I, I'm so admiring that resiliency that's stepping forward because you're just getting at it. And, and that's just what we've all got to do. I do have one question when you were talking about, you know, um, having to travel outside, how far, how long a plane ride is it? Like say from where you're located to, to Ottawa, how far a plane ride is that? It's three hours in the same time zone. It's a long flight. It's that not at all. I feel, man, the majority of my colleagues are from BC. Uh, Could you imagine coming uh, from BC? Oh, and the time difference. People are like, you come from so far. I'm like, nah, -uh, he does. Poor guy over there does not. I'm okay. Oh, <laughs> touche. Yeah. Touche, but for I just keep thinking if I had to be doing that for everything, you know what I mean? Well, that's we have up. to do that for everything. Like, I can't leave my hometown without getting on a flight. Uh, you can't leave to do anything without getting on a flight. Um, it's just our norm, and I traveled a lot. I've been to every province and territory except for Newfoundland is definitely on the list and Saskatchewan probably not so much but definitely want to get out to Newfoundland um sorry uh, that was probably a little bit rude to say but um <laughs> okay. the west scares me a little bit to be very honest the west scares me a bit especially since I have my face tattoos now it scares me a bit. yeah I can relate yeah I can relate yeah, yeah, I could. I think too, it's it's just in general being down south. Like I know I look like the majority of people up in the north. I am familiar with how it works. It norms are different and they make sense to me. Um, I find it can be a whole different thing. Just being down south in general is not, not, not to say I'm not comfortable. I just, I'm very aware that I'm not in my comfort. Yeah. In my that, familiarity. I felt it's that when we were up there, when we were in Iqaluit, because although I don't look Inuk, everybody knew that I wasn't, that, you know, that I was native and they were asking this one guy asked, he asked, actually asked if I was Ojibwe and I was like, yeah. We just know. <laughs> yeah. And he, and, he, and he laughed and he said, yeah, we used to steal your women. That's why we looked that sure. <laughs> That crap, that crap, that crap. <laughs> it was funny. We were hiking. Um, uh, we were coming back from. Um, we'd seen the little Hudson's Bay thing, and so mm -hmm. and we were we were we were hiking back, and that that was that was kind of funny. But just like to be surrounded by people that you kind of look like or that you share that with, it's a real different. It's a really different space in existence, especially like I live here in Niagara, right? Where, um, you, you know, we're, we're not a very big part of the population. But so I was reading the TRC, not the TRC, the um, 
MMIW um, report. And, and, you know, and it's talking about the colonial impact and, and how recent it is. And, you know, like you talked about the need to travel and to do, you know, for all of these things and, and the loss of skill, because it really isn't like people who have lived in the circumpolar region for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. right? They've lived there for thousands of years, had babies, built houses, educated children, educated each other, you know, lived in communities. And, you know, and we talk about places being remote. And I had read something that had said that always begs the question of remote to what? Mm -hmm. Right? Not remote to their homes. Not remote yeah. to their families, not remote that's, to the place of their creation. Is this what I... You know, remote Sorry, I need to make notes. That those white men think are important. That's what they're remote to. Remote to the things that That's make exactly convenient. It. Right? Like it's convenient to have hospitals located in certain places. It's convenient to have, well, and even the medical knowledge. How many thousands of years did circumpolar people mm -hmm. take care of injuries and babies and illnesses and all of those things? And that de skilling is just, was just how has. Has, it's showing the effect because I exactly that I my thought was that why isn't these services available and they had to have been since peoples have existed for ever so what right. what has happened in that space there is a lot here to to impact I've really enjoyed this conversation you can find Medicine for the Resistance on Facebook and the website www.med4r.com. Don't forget to rate, share, and support us by buying us a coffee at www.ko-fi.com slash medicine for the resistance. You can also support the podcast and so much more by going to patreon.com slash payyourrent. You can follow Patty on Twitter at G-I-N-D-A-A-N-I-S and at Danish.ca, D-A-A-N-I-S.ca. You can follow Carrie at K-E-R-R-Y-O-S-C-I-T-Y, that's Curiosity, and find her online at CarrieGoring.com. Our theme is fearless.